ago and I, I bought these like pink ballet slippers. For some reason it struck me to buy pink ballet slippers and have these like purple like parachute pants with different colors. Well, the first thing I remember is flying to L.A. with Bobby Z and Mark Brown, and this was going to be Mark Brown's first live show experience with us as a group. And Bobby and I asked him, so how does it feel to be playing with the, you know, as a warm-up back for the Rolling Stones in front of, you know, 80 to 90,000 people at the L.A. Coliseum? Mark Brown didn't know who the Rolling Stones were. It was his first gig. So Bobby and I were a little surprised by this. And we just said, oh, wow, okay, well, this will be an interesting experience for you and for all of us, and we're all very excited. So I remember that conversation and also kind of hoping everything would go away, go okay for Mark because of, you know, being thrust onto the stage this way and that in front of that many people. It was like the, the serious major experience leading up to it. <laughs> leading up to it was pretty amazing. You know, the Stone Village and just the opportunity, and we were so excited. And, you know, of course, you remember we rehearsed constantly to get to that point. I don't think anybody could ever prepare for what was about to happen. Never in, the, in my wildest dreams did I think that what was about to happen was going to happen. at the, uh, the the Beverly Garland Hotel there and I remember like coming from the airport you kind of go kind of over the hill and kind of down heading toward the hotel and for some reason the ride to the hotel from the airport especially that last part coming down the hill knowing that we're getting close to the hotel like really stood out to me for some reason that was like okay it's it's actually happening we're, we're getting ready to check into the hotel, and then tomorrow we're, we're opening for the Stones. And uh, so then when we got there, my expectations were, oh, this is going to be great. And I remember the ride to, to the Coliseum. I remember pulling up, and it just kind of being like this, again, almost ethereal, like everything was in slow motion kind of deal, and, and, you know, going in. The thing that does probably stand out more than anything is our trailer being next door to George Thorogood and him warming up for like three hours <laughs> playing like the same five notes or whatever it was that he, <laughs> that he did back then. Food and booze and women and you know, George Thorogood. Yeah, it was an amazing, just really uh, big Hollywood event, you know, and of course, uh, George Thorogood and the Destroyers. We got to meet Jay Giles and, and then Jay Giles fans. Charlie Watts of the Wyman. But I remember sitting in one of those big round tables and, and Mick came over and sat down and, and Charlie Watts sat there for a little while. Keith came over for a little while, mumbled something unintelligible and then wandered off again. And again, just all these people. It was like, my goodness, that's Ali McGraw over there. That's, that's Dan Aykroyd, and he's waiting to go to the bathroom. I think Matt and I went back into the Stones, inner sanctum, and it was so exciting on so many levels. We did, like, a brief sound check or something that morning, and I remember at, at that point it was like, 
the the pitch of the stage was the next like whoa this is weird but they had the the stage pitched at like a slight angle because it made for better sight lines in stadiums and it was just this odd sensation like you were going downhill just before we went on the next like prominent moment in, in in my recollection was standing at the bottom of the stairs waiting for the signals to go on then hearing bill graham's voice from the stage which was also like surreal because he he was as big a legend to me as the stones were and and then you know i remember heading up the stairs i remember going on and i remember the roar after the first song because that sound is something that i i don't think i'll ever forget just this the sound of most of 120,000 people you know like roaring their approval as opposed to what happened later on i was completely shocked by what did happen which was getting on stage in front of a extremely unruly group of people who did not understand what we were about and didn't understand what prince was about and were hostile and 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 when the the finger was given to us by about I don't know the front 30 rows or 40 rows of people it must have been at least half the people had their hands up with the, with the middle finger booed is one thing you know we were not booed off the stage we were we were assaulted Mark Brown didn't know who the Rolling Stones were it was his first gig and I remember the first attack was an orange hitting his base head and I, I knew that something was about to really unleash and I, did, I was like, holy, what is going on? The food and the cups and the bottles were being thrown at us. You know, people didn't even finish their hot dog. They had to throw the thing. Of course, they, they saw Prince who in a trench coat with thigh-high stockings and high heels and bikini briefs on. As items continued to pounce, crash, hit, and, you know, just basically food and pelted off the stage. And, and here we have a multiracial group besides, you know, you got white people and black people mixing it up on stage. So it was really odd, but I was a little taken aback by the fact that they were throwing and getting violent and throwing stuff and that I got hit in the face with a crumpled up uh, Coca-Cola cup, which really stung. I remember just saying, you know what, there's a lot of Hell's Angels out there, and I think we're making them mad. But then I remember when Prince leaning down about a quarter inch over his head with an empty bottle of Jack Daniels that crashed into the drum riser right in front of me. And my first reaction was, wow, I mean, these symbols are pretty useful right now, more than just um, being able to hit them. You know, they're kind of deflector shields. It really started to increase and to the point when the crowd smelled that they could, could get us off. Saw Prince nearly get obliterated by a fifth of whiskey empty bottle that missed him by millimeters, and it, it scared the, the bejesus out of me. The velocity and the density of the, of the cups getting, you know, starting to step up a bit, and a few more obstacles. I remember sort of watching Prince slowly; his eyes got wider and wider the more stuff got thrown. And, I remember having this thought, you yeah, know, this, this might 
be interesting. And then, you know, there was that point in time where it was like, okay, something just, something weird just happened to the sound and kind of, you know, instinctively turning my head to the right and then noticing that Prince wasn't there. Prince had enough and just, we were playing and, and, and left the stage. Seeing this solitary figure walking out of that red carpet, thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> now we are in trouble. And, and he took off. So, so he left us up there having to uh, finish the song by ourselves. And we really only got through uh, about three or four songs. Was so we continued to play. And all of our songs were based on his visual and verbal communication. So by him leaving the stage, we, we were left to play as items continued to pounce, crash, hit, and, you know, just basically booed and pelted off the stage. I don't know if I made eye contact with everybody, but I made eye contact with everybody I could. It kind of did the, let's stop this song now thing. And then I remember looking at you, and then something crashed between our risers. I don't remember exactly what it was. Looking at each other going, what the hell's going on here? It's just like, you know, beyond, beyond human comprehension, certainly for a musician. And then I just remember us stopping and leaving the stage. And then we had to leave the stage, of course. And then that was it. It was like a blur. It happened so quickly, and it was so shocking and, and rather uh, unnerving. By the time we got back to the dressing trailer, <laughs> he was gone. Uh, right after the show, he went back to the hotel. Prince was already on an airplane. He made a beeline for the airport. And for me, was probably one of the most traumatic and, and ultimate things. It wasn't like this super negative experience to me in my, you know, my little personal world at the time, because it was still like, I was in awe of what was happening, and even though we, we, in my mind at that point, we had ended our set early, because it was just one of those things. It was a situation that was completely outside the scope of anything, certainly, that we'd done collectively up to that point, and outside the scope of, of what Prince had done as, as a performer, and as, as, as a frontman. Farnoli told me, I don't remember if there were a bunch of us there, or if it was just me, because I think I asked him, so where is he? He said, no, he's, he's gone. He went straight to the airport and flew home. So the next day, the Saturday, the day off, someone from management called first to try to get him to come back, and he wouldn't do it. Then they got Mick to call him, and Mick called, and I guess talked to him for about 20 minutes, and he still wouldn't do it. Then Farnoli came to my room, this I do remember, came to my room, and it was like the first time that Steve was like, sort of real with me and, and like it, it, it was a whole different vibe he asked me if I would call and wow. so I did I called I talked to Prince for about 45 minutes it was a really long conversation but the I think the tipping point was just appealing to this sort of pride thing you know we can't we can't let some dirt balls run us out of town like this. You know, we, we, we just need to do this. We need to finish what we started because if we don't, we'll, we'll never live it down. But most of all, you know, that, that's not who we are. How can we look at ourselves in the mirror knowing 
that we backed down. So finally, he said, yeah, you know, you're right. And he agreed to come back, and he did. And we were so green and such, such meat. We were just, you know, for hungry lions. It was just, we were just the perfect, you know, sacrifice for the crowd. Tension in that dressing room before we went on the second day, I think I'll never forget. I mean, you could cut it. It was just unbelievable. We've had a lot of tense moments, and obviously, I don't think it was anything more intense than that. So <laughs> let's, let's try to be a bit louder and a bit, you know, let's just do everything we have that rocks. And yeah, absolutely, I remember that conversation. And I think people read about it and brought things to throw. I think that was my my recollection of the second day is people brought things to throw because the pelting was more fruit throwable items oranges apples um i remember you know the ability to aim to really going for it right away but the second show the first thing i saw when we came out on stage was like in the distance there was this you know this thing getting closer and i couldn't tell what it was and as it got closer, I saw that it was a plastic bag full of chicken parts. And it actually was one of those weird, you know, plane crash moments where everything slowed down to like, you know, single frame. And just before I had to duck, I could see that these were not just chicken parts, but they were like gray and nasty. Like someone had gone to the trouble of taking this chicken and putting it out in the sun for a day so they would have it to throw the next day. <laughs> and it was at that point, I was like, yeah, it's gonna be a little bit rougher today. And it was, I mean, the stuff that got thrown the second day, I remember, was much more lethal. I remember like a full bottle of Jack Daniels just missing Prince's head. Um. And it was just, it, it, it was just the, that day, I mean, I, I toughed it out, but I mean, I remember tearing up because it was just like, my God. It was like a blood sport then. Well, let's see if we can boo them off the stage. It was like a <laughs> half gallon of orange juice exploding on Mark's base. And just, it was different stuff that they were throwing the second day. And I remember the booing being much more intense. But I remember going out and I was, I was picking up shoes and like nasty thinking about now but putting him in my mouth you know how a dog will like shake his head back and forth with a shoe or something in his mouth i remember doing stuff like that we're, we're just we're crazy like you or whatever the molten lava of all this hate against the backlash of kind of r&b evolving into more of a pop crossover thing so you have this combination of someone who was challenging the whole world and the whole music industry, and then people that just wanted to hear Johnny. And these people um, found their niche that day, and Stones fans especially. I mean, the Stones had become, you know, uh, Hell's Angels, you know, had murdered somebody on one of their shows. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, so it's kind of apropos that a, having that Stones event that, you know, I think the hate would have shown up somewhere else, but at the Stones thing, I think it's when it really, they just, you know, were not ready. You remember just having like a brief conversation with Prince after the second show and just kind of, you know, doing the, and 
you know, thanks for coming back, you know, we did it, kind of, a, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was obviously something that uh, I'm sure none of us will forget. The experience for him, you know, as a songwriter, you know, creating a Let's Go Crazy or you know, Blue or some kind of, a, you know, a masterpiece of, that, that I've actually, you know, blew everybody away, you know, I mean, there's probably elements of that show that are in those songs, in that writing, you know, it just has to be. Thank you. 